Greetings, everyone. I'm Vicki Vasilega, Director of the Clinical Specialist and Scientist section here at ASHP, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional programming from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. My first thought is why setting a background for why safety recommendations are needed for ILE? And just a review, ILEs are probably one of the most complex pharmaceutical formulations, and they present unique challenges for stability, compatibility, and sterility. It's not a solution, it's an oil and water emulsion, and that emulsion requires certain physical chemical characteristics to keep it stable for the duration of its preparation, storage, as well as infusion. There is a stability parameter that's established for ILDs based on the volume weighted percent of fat droplets greater than five microns, and this is termed the PFAT5. And the standard that's been established is that the PFAT5 should be less than 0.05% for the entirety of its storage as well as through processing and administration to the patient. So the phases of emulsion destabilization are outlined on this slide. Two parts, the aggregation and creaming, are both reversible, meaning that if you actually agitate the product, it will go back into its original form at a particle size that's safe for administration. However, if coalescence and oiling out occur, these are both irreversible and particle sizes become large enough that can cause harm or harmful events in patients, and that would be a particle size greater than six microns. The adverse effects of destabilized ILE are outlined on this slide. Fat embolism would be one of the likely things, but you can also see acute reactions such as hypotension, pulmonary hypertension, and acidosis. And you could get a more rapid clearance of reticular endothelial system in the liver, spleen, and lungs, potentially impairing immune function. Further on with regards to safety recommendations for ILE, some of the surveys we've done about practice have identified several systems issues that create variations in or gaps in practice that could cause harm for patients because of confusion. You can see that from the ordering node in regards to the PN use process, uh, ordering can be done either as amount per day, amount per PN, or it could be percentage. And you can see it can either be as grams of the lipids or as kilocalories or as non-protein calories. And then the percentage could be based off of an original concentration, final concentration, or volume to be added or infused separate from parental nutrition. When you look at preparation and administration, there's two different ways of administering lipids and parental nutrition. One would be combining them with the dextrose amino acids and other nutrients as a total nutrient admixture. The second is administering separate from the parental nutrition admixture. And with that, you may have some issues with regards to repackaging. When you look at administration type, the total nutrient admixtures can be given continuously, which we know is a better ability to have fewer fluctuations in serum triglycerides improve fat oxidation, and less impact on immune function. You still have factors to consider, and that would be stability, compatibility, filtration, and dose. And with a repackaging administration or administering separate from parental nutrition, you have intermittent via uh, Y-site connection as the administration. You have Y-site compatibility. You have filtration issues with this as well. Potential for contamination, which I'll cover in the next couple of slides. Dose, infusion rate, and duration. So many more factors to consider to be sure that the product is administered safely. We're concerned more about the ILEs that are administered separate from parental nutrition because as you repackage or infuse them, they have a higher probability of supporting microbial growth and causing infections because they're isoosmotic, they have a high pH, and there's glycerol that's present in the product. And that's what's caused the limitation of the hang time for 
the ILE separate from parental nutrition to no longer than 12 hours. However, when admixed with total nutrient admixtures, combining them with dextrose amino acids, the osmolality is high enough that will protect or prevent microbial growth, so the possibility for infection is less. There have been reviews of the safety of the PN system. Reference we have here by Mike Story looked at ISMP data, which looked at ILEs in particular, as well as other components of parental nutrition. They found that the medication errors do occur with ILE, especially when it's administered separate from parental nutrition. Most of the PN system processes involved with reported errors are in the order especially as due to lack of standard method of ordering ILE. Administration, which is misinterpretation of ILE infusion rate or confused with the PN rate, and then improper programming of the infusion pumps. A point to note with the ILEs is that 38.8% of the errors that were identified occurred in neonates, infants, and children, and involved administration, prescribing, and the transcribing processes. With that as background, we wanted to go through and provide the purpose and organization of the lipid injectable emulsion safety recommendations. You know, our purpose was to provide information on all ILE products. We believe now that more products are available, the confusion that outlined to you, which just included one or two products, is just going to be more complex. And so we want to cover all that were available. We want to outline the appropriate indications and dosing and provide recommendations in a sense and a way that we could hopefully prevent errors with these products. Since the use and indications of ILE is different between adults and pediatrics, the considerations were split into two papers. The organization of the papers is as follows. For the adult, we provided the background for both papers in this paper, but we also included then indications, products, ILE through the PN process, recommendations and a summary. For the new net pediatrics, we included indications, prescribing, order review, preparation, administration, and monitoring. We had a couple of subheadings in the neonates that might be of interest. One was with the transitions of care, and the other was related to repackaging of ILE products. To start off with, we really had to figure how we were going to characterize and abbreviate the lipid emulsions that were available. We basically started off with soy oil as our base component that's been available for years. We gave an abbreviation for the oil that was in there and then followed that by ILE. So you can see that that abbreviation is SO-ILE. And then we followed suit with the other three ILE products, the multi-oil products, soy, MCT, olive, and fish oil. You can see the abbreviations we had for that, as well as the fish oil as the FO-ILE, and then the olive and soy oil as SO-ILE. We thought this was better for organization of paper and reading the paper rather than spelling out the names of each of the individual products along the way. For the use of ILE in parental nutrition, for prevention of essential fatty acid deficiency, we provide a dose of linoleic acid as 2.5% of calories and linolenic acid of 0.5% of calories. As an energy source, we should provide at least 15 to 30% of the calories as fat or lipid in our nutrient dosage. For the final component is because these byproducts can undergo metabolism or preparation in the body, they can be turned into precursors of biochemical products supporting immunity, coagulation, and the stress response. The major focus on the newer ILE products is to reduce the omega-6 content of ILE, that would be the soybean oil, and improve the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio in a lot of our patient populations. 
So when you look at the composition of the ILE products, we can see on this slide, we've got the outline as far as the brand is concerned. We've got the abbreviations at the top row, S-O-I-L-E, all the way over to the end of F-O-I-L-E. It provides the oil source within the product. So you can see the S-O-I-L-E is 100% soybean. When you look at the other products, the S-O-M-C-T-O-O and F-O-I-L-E is 30% soybean and the O-O-S-O-I-L-E is 20% soybean oil. So you can see our newer products have a much lower composition of soybean oil. And obviously the fish oil does not have soybean oil. It's just the fish oil alone. When you look at the breakdown, the fat composition, as far as a percent mean value or the range, you can see how those values actually change with regards to the products that have been prepared. You can see the main changes with linoleic acid, linolenic acid, and oleic acid. Linoleic acid being the omega-6, linolenic acid being the omega-3 component. Oleic acid is a neutral component of the oils present in ILE. You can see the major changes that have occurred with those. The major difference is the EPA and the DHA composition, which is present in the fish oil, but not in any of the other products. And these are downstream derivatives of the omega-6 fatty acid, linoleic acid, which is present in fish oils. One of the other components of the background is just noting the allergies to ILE. They're really not that common, but they have occurred. It manifests along a continuum from mild local reactions to anaphylaxis. The most common reaction is pruritus. It can occur within minutes or hours, but may be present after greater than one day. The potential allergenic sources in ILE are egg, which is from the emulsifying agent and is present in all of the ILE products, soybean and fish. Patients at risk are those that are known to have a history of allergy to eggs, soybeans, peanuts, or fish. And you need to make the consideration if there is a potential for allergy, whether you even include ILE in the PN regimen at all. And there is a potential for a role of sensitivity testing or implementing of desensitization processes, but it's really not well described. So it does provide a quandary in your patient populations when allergies are suspected. The reason we were involved in this paper was that we've seen a number of ILE products come to the U.S. market. They've been in other countries for a number of years, relatively new to the United States, some of the products that Jay had mentioned. With that, there's always concern regarding safety and appropriate use of these products. A tremendous amount of work was done by this group that published um, paper that was dedicated to the adult population. What I wanted to start out with was giving you an overview of the lipid injectable emulsion survey, which is a gap analysis. And so many of us who have been in nutrition support practice have known there have been gaps in practice and, and really some, uh, some concerning situations regarding safety of parenteral nutrition and ILEs. And you've noticed throughout this presentation, we've used the term ILE, and that's a relatively new term. If you look at some of the older literature, oftentimes you'll see it referred to as IVFE, intravenous fatty emulsions, but ISMP actually reported there were cases where there was confusion, where the patients actually received IV iron products and not lipid emulsions. So thus the change to the ILE that you see now in the newer literature. I wanted to note this survey and gap analysis, you can see that there were a number of individuals involved in this, practitioners who have been in practice for a long time, pharmacists who have dedicated their career to this. It was really important that we see what was going on in practice. And so when we kind of the foundation will for these two papers that were published regarding ILEs. So if we look at this emulsion survey, the first question we really wanted to know, how are people using ILEs in practice? And you can see that there were 443 respondents to this particular question. It was almost an even split between those that were doing two-in-one. So they had amino acids and dextrose, which is better known as a two-in-one. 
42% of those were doing a two-in-one, whereas 41.9%, again, almost 42%, were doing what we would refer to as a compounded total nutrient admixture, where you have the amino acids, dextrose, and your ILE combined in one bag. So really almost an even split there with two-in-ones versus three-in-ones, also known as TNAs. Those that responded that they were doing commercial multi-chamber bags or MCBs, that contained ILE, about 2%, so a very small percentage of those were using the multi-chamber bags that are commercially available, with about 12% doing the commercial multi-chamber bag without the ILE, so that would be a two-in-one bag. That's a commercial versus a two-in-one that's commercial. Again, you'll note that we call these commercially available multi-chamber bags. We don't refer to them as pre-mixed because number one, they have to be activated and they should be activated under hood. And secondly, additives such as trace elements and multivitamins need to be added to these products to make them a complete nutrition regimen. So they're really not a pre-mixed medication, if you will. So it does require some activation and additional additives. Rounding out the survey were commercial multi-chamber bags without ILE and the pharmacy was actually adding the ILE to the bag, that was at 2%. When we looked at how these ILEs were being administered in the adult, pediatric, and infant population, you can see that uh, about 38% of the adults were receiving a 3-in-1, better known as a TNA. 43% of the adult populations were receiving a separate ILE infusion, with almost 19% doing both a 3-in-1 and a separate ILE infusion. We move over to the pediatric and infants that really the world changes there and, and Dr. Cobert will tell us more on this, but you can see that you're seeing in the pediatric patients certainly very little use of three and ones or TNAs primarily seeing a separate ILE infusion, and even more so in the infant population because of stability issues. You rarely are able to do a 3-in-1 or a TNA in a neonate or an infant patient. So generally, you're going to see those always receive their ILE separately, whereas more in the adult population, it was almost a 50-50 split, that people were either doing three-in-ones or they were giving the ILE separate. The other question here was the percentage of respondents that use filters, and this is very, very important because there was a change in the package insert for manufacturers that recommended the use of a 1.2 micron filter in patients receiving ILEs. And we knew from the word on the street, if you will, or hearing others in practice that some institutions were not filtering their ILEs. So we broke this down into three-in-ones or total nutrient admixtures, two-in-ones or dextrose amino acids, and then a separate ILE infusion. And you can note it was very concerning in the adult and the pediatric populations that really almost 20% did not filter those total nutrient admixtures, where they should have been using a 1.2 micron filter, they were not filtering at all, 20% in the adult population and 19% in the pediatric population. Again, in the infant population, really don't see the use of total nutrient admixtures of three-in-one, so that's in that particular column. When we looked at the two-in-ones, again, dextrose and amino acids, you did see the use of a 0.22 micron filter, so that was certainly fine and recommended. Some actually used a 1.2 micron filter, but you also saw a small percentage that did not filter, 7% the adults, 1.7% in pediatrics, and 1% in infants. And lastly, when we looked at these the ILEs being given separately, again, you can see some concerning numbers here that 15% in those adult population did not filter, almost 10% in pediatrics, and 19.4% in the infants. Again, so that's a recommendation from the manufacturer and a safety recommendation that we filter these ILEs. And so this is very concerning to our PN Safety Committee, who has done a tremendous amount of work and 
numerous publications related to PN safety. So we felt like, you know, having some of the data that I'm sharing with you certainly would make sense that we would need a paper that addressed ILEs and again, dividing it like Jay said into the adult and then the pediatric population. Some other data from the lipid injectable emulsion survey with a gap analysis, we looked at the frequency of ILEs. So we would like to see this done seven days a week if the patients can tolerate it, they don't have elevated triglycerides or they don't have some allergy. Really would like to see use of lipid emulsions seven days a week when appropriate. And we know that that will also reduce the amount of dextrose we have to give these patients. And so I think it's not only meets their requirements for essential fatty acid deficiency, but also allows us to reduce the amount of dextrose. So you can see ILEs being given seven days a week in the adult population was only 65%. That's a little bit concerning. We do know that some of these patients certainly have high triglycerides, but we also know that we've had these shortages of ILEs throughout the years. And so one of the recommendations would be to give ILE three times a week, or at least to meet essential fatty acid deficiency requirements. So we all felt like that there were some that never went back to giving lipids seven days a week when they had the lipids available. In the pediatric and the infant population, you see that it looks much better, 81% and 92% respectively were giving their ILE seven days a week. When we looked at dosing practices, really, you know, when you see how people dose these for the adult population, 24% were using the container size or 250 mil size would be an example. 32% were dosing percent energy. The average dose there was 26% of their patient's energy requirements were coming from the ILE. The most common that we found in this survey with a gap analysis was a weight-based dose ranging anywhere from 0.5 to 1 gram per kilogram per day. Now, the pediatric infant population, the primary method is weight-based. Again, that's the most appropriate way you can see that that was done, 84, 93% respectively in those groups. The pediatric range was anywhere from 0.5 to 1, and then neonates for infants was 2.6 to 3 grams per kilogram per day. And in general, we would give those patients a higher amount of lipid than we would the adult population. So this is the paper that Jay was lead on. This is the Aspen Lipid Injectable Emulsion Safety Recommendations. Again, this is part one, which is addresses the adult considerations. Of note here, you can see there are numerous disciplines involved in this, not only pharmacists, but we have physicians, nurses and dietitians that were involved in this consensus recommendation paper. And so this is a very important paper as we look at the appropriate use of ILEs across the entire spectrum of the PN process, you know, looking at, at dosing or prescribing, order review verification, compounding and administration. And this paper walks you through the entire PN process and the use of ILEs in the adult population. So ILE properties are important here. We're talking about the omega-6, omega-3 ratio. The workhorse for a number of years has been a soy-based ILE. You can see that omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is pretty high at 7 to 1 with a phytosterol content, which is phytosterol is a plant sterol that is known to be hepatotoxic. You can see a fairly high concentration of phytosterol in milligrams per liter and the omega-6, omega-3 ratio being relatively high. We looked at the two oil, the olive oil, soy oil, ILE, that omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is 9 to 1, again, relatively high with the phytosterol content, though, that is lower than soy-based ILE. We look at the four oil, ILE, it has the lowest omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. It's a 2.5 to 1 and also has the lowest amount of phytosterol content. So this might be a good in terms of some of our long-term patients that we're wanting to reduce the amount of phytosterol that they get. This might be beneficial. When you look at the fish oil ILE, it's a 1.8 to 1 with phytosterol content being zero. 
This is really more of a biochem slide, if you will. It really walks you through fatty acid metabolism. So it's important to understand this particular slide and the slide that follows when we look at maybe why we might consider using some of the newer alternative ILEs in practice. So this slide walks us through the parent essential fatty acids for the omega-3s, omega-6, and then omega-9 you can see is off to the right. So the human body can actually produce omega-9, so we don't require that in our diet, whereas the omega-3 and the omega-6, we consider there are some apparent essential fatty acids there. So for the omega-3, if you look down this slide, you'll see alpha-linolenic acid or ALA, that's an 18 carbon, three double bond, omega-3. And of note there, if you look further down that pathway, you can see some very familiar metabolites that we see there, EPA and DHA are down this pathway, down the omega-3 pathway. So it's an essential fatty acid, meaning that we have to obtain this from our diet. It's required. So we either obtain this intravenously via intro feedings or orally. The middle column is the omega-6 fatty acid. So the apparent essential fatty acid here is linoleic acid or LA. It's an 18 carbon, two double bond, omega-6. And again, with the very familiar arachidonic acid in the middle of that pathway there. You'll also note that you'll see delta-6 desaturase, elongase, delta-5 desaturase. All these are enzymes involved in the metabolic pathway. And the preference for this is actually laid out like the slide. So the preference is omega-3, then omega-6, and then omega-9. So we're going to further complicate this slide by looking at some of the potent pro-inflammatory eicosanoids down that apparent essential fatty acid omega-6 pathway there or linoleic acid. What we do know is that down that pathway, we can see the production of some pro-inflammatory costanoids like two series prostaglandins, two series thromboxines, four series leukotriene. So we know that these are inflammatory in nature. And so one of the reasons or concerns that we see in sometimes in our critically ill patients, there have been in situations and even recommendations, although the evidence is weak, that you might consider withholding an omega-6 ILE in a patient who's critically ill for at least a week because of these pro-inflammatory eicosanoids. If we look at the first column, the omega-3 fatty acids, the ALA or alpha-linolenic acid, you'll see there are some weak inflammatory costanoids there, three series prostaglandins, three series thromboxines, five series leukotrienes. But as we go further down that pathway, you'll see things like D-series resolvins, D-series resolvins, protectins. So these are less inflammatory in nature, maybe even anti-inflammatory in nature. So it makes sense that if we looked at maybe more of a blended ILE that we might see less inflammatory precursors formed by using more of a mixed or a combination of omega-3 along with other fatty acids. So that's really sort of the background of why we might consider using some of these newer ILEs that have come to the U.S. market. So now I want to walk through the different aspects of the paper looking at the PN process. So if you're looking at the prescribing, for instance, these are considerations and recommendations from the paper. So first of all, it's best to use a standardized electronic order preferably CPOE with decision support. So this is an area where we still have some work to be done. There are obviously EHRs and some have done a better job than others uh, addressing the parental nutrition aspect of prescribing. And when we do look at parental nutrition, it is a medication. It's actually noted as a high alert medication by the Institute of Safe Medication Practices or ISMP. So we should and we need that decision support in, in place. So 
there's some work to be done in this area when we looked at our electronic health records that are currently available to us. It's also important too that we note the brand name of the ILE because there are newer products. So we just can't say ILE. We need to say what product that we're going to be using, using the brand name so that everyone's on the same page, especially when we look at maybe these patients going to another type of care, maybe from hospital to the home transitioning to different types of care. It's very important that everyone be on the same page. Right now, communicating shortages. There are certainly shortages that are being seen in the U.S. market on ILEs. And how do we communicate those shortages to the prescriber? And what are the therapeutic alternatives? Again, keeping everybody on the same page and so that we know, you know, we may not have this ILE here. This would be a therapeutic alternative. I think it's very important that we communicate that to the prescribers. In the adult population, it's very important to order this in amounts per day and grams per day, not by volume, as Jay showed, and as I showed on the slide too, there have been various methods by which people order ILE, so it's best in the adult population we order in grams per day. The other important thing, if patients were getting other lipid-containing preparation, primarily propofol, so if you're in the critical care arena, then you're going to probably need to be looking at that. Do we need to give the patient additional ILE or are we meeting the fat recommendations with that lipid-containing preparation? So those are just things to consider when we're prescribing ILEs. And this is recommended adult ILE dosages for the soy, for four oil, and two oil. Here you can see in a critically ill patient, less than one gram per kilogram per day, you can use the soy. The patient is stable, one gram per kilogram per day, and again, not to exceed 2.5. If we're looking using a four oil ILE, dosing range is one to two grams per kilogram per day, again, not to exceed 2.5. And looking at the two oil of the olive oil, soy oil, one to 1.5 kilograms per day, again, not to exceed 2.5. So we want to order these in grams per kilogram per day, and very important not to exceed those maximum doses. Looking at order reviews, so these are considerations and recommendations for order reviews. So first of all, you need to have knowledgeable and skilled pharmacists who are reviewing those orders. You know, we have numerous prescribers now of parental nutrition, not only physicians, but we have pharmacists and dietitians, physicians assistants, nurse practitioners. There are various disciplines that could be ordering parental nutrition. So that needs to be looked at closely and reviewed closely by the pharmacy staff. So your staff should be knowledgeable in understanding the different ILEs and the doses and, you know, the appropriate rates and is it safe for the patient. So it should be part of those, the pharmacist competency. If they're involved in order review for PN, then you should be sure that they're competent to do that. The review process should include things like the patient's age. Do they have any allergies? Is the dose correct? Do you have the correct dosing weight? What about the indication? What kind of access do they have? The type of formulation, are you going to give it separately or are you going to give it as part of a three-in-one or a TNA? Stability and compatibility, again, very important, especially when we look at adding the ILE to the amino acids and dextrose. There are certainly guidelines that we should be using and that we should not be exceeding what we know is considered stable for that 24-hour period or being refrigerated up to nine days. All those things are important. Again, the pharmacist should be leading there and assisting in that. And again, knowing that pharmacist should have knowledge of appropriate stability and compatibility. Is the infusion rate clearly, is it stated clearly, and is it clear on the label as well? It's another important aspect. Looking at preparation, certainly need to be following the USP Chapter 797 recommendations for aseptic technique. Again, this is a very high alert medication. If not prepared aseptically, then there's certainly increased risk for infections as well. 
when the ILE is ordered for infusion over 24 hours, we should separate that dose into two doses if we're giving it separately. And so you want to infuse, you'd want to split that dose by 50% and infuse each dose over 12 hours if you're giving it separate, not as part as a three-in-one. Jay had mentioned the stability of three-in-ones or TNAs. Again, you know, creaming and cracking, knowing what that looks like and being able to educate your staff is extremely important from a stability standpoint. If we're the additional ILE to two-chamber standardized commercially available PN, again, needs to be done under sterile aseptic technique, and we certainly need to have compatibility and stability data before we do that, that we just don't do that blindly, that we do have data to support that. And lastly, administration, and this is again where a lot of our errors occur, but the bags and tubings must be free of DHEP. Using non-vented tubing, except for products in glass containers, so the fish oil ILE, the original container is glass, so we want to use vented tubing, but for the others, using non-vented tubing. Using separate pumps for the amino acid dextrose and the ILE infusions, if you're giving the ILE separately. And if you're Y-citing medications, you need to be sure that you verify that it's compatible via the Y-site. And again, there are compatibility tables out there and data is available. Sometimes with the two-in-one data may or may not be available for various drugs, especially some of our newer drugs. So you need to be aware of that and be sure that your nurses know where to find that and they call pharmacy if there are any questions. And then if you can't find the data, you would assume that it's not compatible. As I mentioned earlier, the use of filters. So that's a very important part of the administration that or whether it's in the hospital with nurses or whether it's in the home environment, it's very important that these products be filtered. This is a PN errors noted by MedMark's data by node and ingredients. So I thought this is very interesting looking at the node being ordering, transcribing, compounding or administration and then divided further into the ingredients. So the severity here, A through D, would not be as severe, whereas E through I would be much more severe with I, meaning that it caused death to the patient. So the good thing is that when we look at the severity of E to I, we certainly don't see as many reported. But we also know that oftentimes errors are not reported with parental nutrition because some facilities don't consider parental nutrition a medication, but it truly is. And so I would encourage you to go back to your facilities and see if you're reporting parental nutrition as medication errors. But when we look at the node portion of it, you can see that primarily that most of the errors were in ordering or administration. And again, a majority of those in the A to D severity range here, with again, administration being 487 leading the way there. And when we look at the ingredient, fat emulsion was the most noted ingredient where there was a PN error that was reported. And typically that was where the rate of infusion for fat emulsion was confused with the rate of infusion with two-in-one or the amino acid dextrose. There were some other ingredients reported as well, and the other, the most frequent in the other category was insulin. So again, another high alert medication. So the thing with parental nutrition, if we're giving electrolytes, sometimes we're doing insulin, so we have high alert medications within a high alert medication. So again, it's very complex and certainly requires significant oversight by pharmacy. Jay touched on the phases of ILE, physical destabilization, you know, aggregation and creaming. Typically with gentle agitation, we can use these safely. But when we get into coalescence and oiling out, where you see coalescence is really a fusion of droplets, lead to fewer droplets, increase in droplet size, that would be unsafe to use. And oiling out or cracking of the emulsion, that's where Coalescence continues to the point of complete separation. You really see a layer of oil, if you will, at the top. So again, unsafe to use. So it's really important to know 
that your staff and even your nursing staff knows that these three and ones in particular can destabilize. And so knowing what to do with those is really important when not to use or when they're unsafe to use. It's certainly a part of education for the pharmacist and the nursing staff. Some monitoring considerations and recommendations related to ILEs, fat overload syndrome generally occurs when you infuse lipids too fast. You can see jaundice, hepatosplenomegaly can occur, hemorrhage can occur as well. So that's been reported in the literature. Things like hypercoagulation, immune function interference, again, if it's infused too fast. Effects on the liver are certainly something you need to monitor, so you need to be looking at liver function tests. Infection, very important that typically these are being given via a central line, and again, sometimes if these hang too long, that increases the risk for infection as well. You should always be looking at triglycerides and holding that triglycerides are greater than 400 in the adult population, which we know that hypertriglyceridemia itself can lead to pancreatitis. So that's why it's important to also be looking at other products the patient might be receiving that contain fat or lipid. So all these things should be considered when we're monitoring patients receiving ILEs. I wanted to give a quick update on the use of filters for parental nutrition. This was a position paper that was published in 2020 by Asthma. Again, the lead here is Pat Worthington, who is a nurse who has a tremendous amount of experience in parental nutrition with other disciplines as well noted here. So this again came about from the survey and gap analysis paper where we did see a significant number of people not using filters. And then there was also some confusion because previous Aspen papers had discussed maybe having to use two filters, a 0.22 micron filter for the amino acids and dextrose and a 1.2 micron for the lipids if you were giving them, infusing them separately, not as a three-in-one. So there were some comments, and again, sometimes the use of two filters, even from a financial standpoint, people were getting pushback and also just overall confusion as to how to do this. So this paper was well done, and you'll see here that there's a new setup now been recommended for two-in-ones and giving the lipid emulsion separately. You can see below the Y site there, the use of a 1.2 micron filter is now a new position from Aspen. Again, still safely administering that ILE to the patient and you are filtering and not just having to use two filters as previous recommendations had noted. So on to ILE indications and potential use. So when we break these down in the products that we would typically use in an adult population, we're looking at the soy oil ILE. Again, this is the first one that we use in the U.S. started using ILEs in the 1970s, first to prevent essential fatty acid deficiency and later as a caloric source. The soy ILEs certainly are a source of energy and essential fatty acids used to prevent essential fatty acid deficiency. So potential uses noted in this paper would be short-term use of PN, so less than two weeks. In patients that have normal liver function tests, and again, as noted, for treatment of essential fatty acid deficiency. Use of four oil ILE, again, is a source of energy, essential fatty acids. So potential uses that were noted in this paper would be long-term use of PN, patients with elevated liver function tests, those that have elevated triglycerides, and those with inflammatory states, again, because of the fish oil and then the omega-3, could be potentially beneficial in patients. Again, the olive oil, soy oil, ILE, is a source of energy and essential fatty acid. Could be considered for long-term use, patients receiving PN. Elevated liver function tests, again, elevated triglycerides. So that's potential uses for the two oils. So I think this chart might be very helpful when you're trying to decide what product might best fit my PN patient.
wanted to walk you through a fairly recent study that was done for the use of intravenous lipid emulsions to liver function in adult chronic intestinal failure patients. So these were surgical patients. So this is looking at a five-year results of home PN patients. So this goes out further than any other trial that we've had. And, and I think gives insight on maybe some of the newer ILEs. You look at some characteristics here, I did want to note that you have an MCT-LCT, which had 21 patients in that arm. Again, that's not available in the U.S., but you do have the two-oil, olive oil, soy oil with 21 patients, and the four-oil, soy, beam chain triglyceride, olive oil, and fish oil, which has 23 patients. And you can look at the lipid intake in grams per kilogram was about 0.6 to 0.7 in all three arms of the study. The number of bags they used per week averaged about six in each arm of the study. I did have blocked out here the information at five years or six months of home PN. Again, we don't have MCT, LCT in the U.S., but I did want to look at olive oil, soy, and the four oil, soy, MCT, olive oil, fish oil. So looking at your liver function test, you can see, although not statistically significant, didn't see a major rise in any of those. In this particular study, though, you did see the median bilirubin was statistically significant and did favor the four oil ILE. But I think this study, again, although it only has 20 patients in each arm, does give us some additional insight in how some of these newer products might be beneficial in those patients on long-term PN. Some of our home PN patients might benefit from changing over from a soy oil base to more of a mixed oil ILE. This chart is within the article as well. It's a really nice chart. Looks at the daily dose of ILE to prevent essential fatty acid deficiency. So one question we've had throughout this process is that we know how much we need from soy oil ILE. Jay had mentioned, you know, what percentages need to come from LA and ALA. What this chart gives you, if the patient's receiving a thousand calories and are you looking at some of the newer products, if you look at the four oil, that patient would need to get 62.9 meals per day to receive enough essential fatty acid to prevent essential fatty acid deficiency. If they're the olive oil soy, that would be 61.5. If they're receiving 2,000 kcals per day. That amount would be 125.7, the four oil, and 122.9, the two oil ILE. So I think this is a very nice chart that could be very helpful as we start to look at what's the minimum amount or the daily dose for being essential fatty acid, looking at some of these newer products that we have on the market now. So our key takeaways here, to minimize errors, the ILE should be ordered in grams per day in the adult patient. ILE should be filtered whether it's a component of 3-in-1 or a TNA are infused separately. And number three, the omega-6, omega-3 ratio and phytosterol content should be considered when selecting an ILE. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHB Official wherever you listen to your podcasts and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2021 ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Basiliga from ASHB Official. And thank you for all you do for your patients.